Last night, um, I met Jacob and Bonnie up here where they could practice a little bit. And Jacob has all sorts of gadgets. I think it's a sign of a future worship leader is gadgets. And he had something going. It was before Bonnie got here, and I'm assuming it's something in here. But he plugged something in, and it was just making some noises. And I was like, man, can I preach to that? He just had that play the whole time I'm preaching. It was like, I don't even know what you describe it. It was, what is it? The Holy Spirit? Yeah. <laughs> Jacob told me last night it was the Holy Spirit. I was like, wow, I've never heard the Holy Spirit before then. But anyways, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to, uh, to Jonah. To Jonah chapter 3. We have been going through the book of Jonah the last several weeks. Um, and so while you're turning there, Jonah chapter 3, it's in the Old Testament. One of the minor prophets, it's, if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. All right, so start turning backwards. While you're looking there, let me, um, I do want to remind you guys, we, we had our first Redemption Hill softball game um, last Tuesday night. Was it Tuesday? Yeah, right? And so, and we came out victorious. And we had, it was awesome. It was the, actually the shortest softball game I think I've ever played in. Um, I, right, Mike? I mean, we played, we played, it was no mercy. We played seven innings in 38 minutes. 38 minutes, and we won, right? It was awesome. It was, it, yeah, I think Joe got there a little late, and it was like like five minutes late, and we're in the third inning. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, but uh, it was good. We had, a, we had like 15 guys there. With the blessing of that is I just hit a couple of times, and I sat in the bench and watched everybody else exert all sorts of energy. But, uh, yeah, but it was good. We had a good time. And so our next game is 745 on this coming Thursday. So, guys, again, if you haven't signed up yet, don't worry. Just show up. Fans are always appreciated. Um, I jokingly said last week that we had more fans at the softball game than we had at church yesterday, last week. It was a light, light crowd last week. Yeah, it was light crowd. But the dedicated were here. <laughs> no. um, and then a few other notes. Uh, um, one of the things we've not really broadcasted, I guess, per se, and I, what what kind of brought this up was... Um, we had a, we had a, we had another um, member join the church, I guess last Sunday, um, and the Nielsens had a baby, and so you know that's all part of growth. That's part of our growth strategy. Is and some of you, several families have endorsed this policy as we have um, several pregnant or recently unpregnant people that have new children. But uh, but one of the things that we've not really said much about is about baby dedications and um and, and if so if you're interested and you you want um to be, be, uh, dedicate your 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 baby um it doesn't necessarily have to be you know an infant although if you're trying to dedicate your teenager it's probably too late <laughs> no it's not <laughs> yeah but um but i i did want to just courtney and i were talking about the other night you know if 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 that's one of those things you've not done and you'd like to do, um, if you just you know grab me after the service one of these days or send me an email, so, something just um, you know the, the idea of a baby dedication it's it's um, what it is is it's you as a parent or you as parents um, just showing that you want to dedicate your child to the Lord and that you want to be faithful parents to your child, but most importantly to God and. Um, and it's kind of a twofold thing, and then it's us as a church standing behind and helping in areas in which that we can help. And so, 
So, anyways, if it's one of those things, I think it's I think they're 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 important. They're good. Some churches will do it like once or twice a year, and they just parade a bunch of people up there. I, that's not my style. I, I like to kind of do it individually. I think it's a little bit more personable that way. Um, so, so we're not trying to get like a big hunk of people up here and show off how many babies we had last year and fourteen or whatever. But but if that's something you'd like to do, just um, come grab me. Let me know, and we'll we'll get that going too. And then. We are in a little bit of need of some help with our children on, on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so if, that's, if you're looking for an area to serve and you're not really sure what to do, where to go, um, that might be a great one for you to um, start with. So anyways, hopefully we found Jonah now. So we're going to read verses 5 through 10, um, which is the end of that chapter, and then we're going to pray. So let's go ahead and read Jonah chapter 3, verse, <clears throat> verse 5. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them... Call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for... Just the ability that we have to, to come to church and come in a, a way that we don't fear um, coming to a, a, a place. We don't fear having to hide our um, beliefs that we, we can openly carry our Bibles and we can um, openly proclaim you as Lord. Um, Lord, I pray this morning as we continue this journey through Jonah that you... Um, allow us to just look at this story through um, a lens that we can apply to our lives. Um, help us not to change it in any way, Lord. Help us not to distort it in any way. Help us to be faithful to the text. But, Lord, I pray that you allow this story that many of us grew up hearing in children's church to penetrate our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that it's something that changes um, the way we live and the way we act. Lord, I pray that you allow me to be faithful to your word. I pray that you give me your heart. I pray you give me your thoughts. I pray that you give me your passion. We love you and thank you for what you've done. And we look forward to the things that you will do. In your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name we pray. Amen. Um, Last week, going into this lesson, I I shared with you that that often um, this story of Jonah and the whale today has, has turned into um, what many consider to be more of an allegory or a fable. That, that many don't consider this story to be um, historical or factual. Um, it's almost as if they view it as an ancient Disney-like story. And you know what's interesting is um, as, as we consider that thought, if we were to consider that mindset, we see that that mindset plays out in a lot of different areas um, 
in relation to the God's word. See, we do a pretty good job of, of twisting things and taking things to, to mean what we want them to mean. Our views on God oftentimes are, are views that um, in many cases are scriptural, but we can, we can tend to dress him up the way that we like him best. For many of us, most of us, you know, we, we want to dress him up in love all the time. And so we have this very loving picture of God, and, and God is love for sure. But we can't subtract that God is just and God is holy. This last week, I was reading a book that I read probably about a year ago and was rereading it. Um, it it's a book entitled Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. And a lot of you all know that Francis Chan is my, my favorite author. And it's interesting because the, the, the concept of the book was a discussion about hell. And how today we don't like this doctrine of hell. Um, about the same time this book came out, actually prior to this book coming out, there was a book that gained a little bit of fame called Love Wins by an author named Rob Bell. And Rob Bell then was a pastor of a, a large church. And, um, and Rob Bell in this book, Love Wins, declares that at the end of the day, God's love wins, which God's love does win. But the way he takes it is that God can't send someone to hell because his love's too strong. Now, in concept and in theory, that's something we would, I would love to grab a hold of. I'd love to grab a hold of that thought that, you know what? At the end of the day, like, God just loves us so much that he can't send anybody to hell. That everyone's going to go to heaven. Like I would, I would love to grab a hold of that. I would, I would, I would love to think that. Um, in my own heart, I, you know, I wrestle with, with people that I know that have passed away, and people that, to the best of my knowledge, never accepted Jesus Christ. And there's that part of me that just really hopes and wishes that they're in heaven today. And so we kind of, just like we can dress Jonah to look and feel like a fable, many people today will dress and make hell in a similar fashion. It's interesting because if we were to back up to the verse preceding what we read this morning, Jonah goes into Nineveh and um, in verse 4 says, Jonah began to go into the city doing a day's journey and and he called out, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. See, Jonah walks into Nineveh, this huge mammoth city, like the New York of his day, and declaring judgment. Like, that's not a happy message, right? Just like talking about hell is not typically a happy discussion. But when Jonah goes into Nineveh, and in there, in our English language, he, he uses eight words. In the Hebrew language, it's five words. He walks in, declares this, and it changes the whole city. What we read this morning, that, that he doesn't even, he, as they described Nineveh, it says it was a three days journey. He walks in, he doesn't even get to the heart of the city. One day's journey, he just stops and starts issuing this judgment. And it changes the whole city. And they obviously weren't, the whole city was in that one spot when Jonah 
preaches, but, but it begins to travel throughout the city. And it eventually reaches the king. The king hears about it. He changes. And it's interesting in that discussion, what we just read this morning, like the king hears it, throws his sackcloth on, declares this, this fasting. Then he goes outside. It says when they sit in the ashes, he's outside in his sackcloth, repenting and turning towards God. And all of his noblemen join him. And this is all in public view. Like the people can see it. Like his subjects can see the king doing this. And it all started with this declaration of judgment. You know, today, I think so often we're, we're afraid to use like the harsh words. Like we're afraid to mention like hell because we don't want God to look mean. Like we get to this point where we almost have to put this disguise on him and make him feel a little bit softer and kinder and gentler. Um, I want us, because I think it's important to this story, I want us to consider a few things in relation to hell. Um, and, and as we finish the story today, I'm going to bring why we're considering this part in Jonah. A couple of things first. like I want us to think about what did Jesus himself say about hell? What did Jesus say? Um, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna, I'm going to read some of this stuff. You're more than welcome to join along if you want to jot it down and look at it later. <clears throat> By all means, you can. But the first thing we see, or one of the things that we see Jesus says, and, and one of the aspects of hell that he talks about is that hell is a place of punishment and judgment. I mean, it's a place of punishment and judgment. One of the, the clearest depictions that we get in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46 um, and we're going to kind of reference this a little bit throughout these three statements, but it says this. I'm going to read this passage. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you for, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37 says, And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did, you see, when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did to one of these, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41 says, and then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed. into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a strange and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. It's interesting because as we read this passage, the words that Jesus proclaimed in, in Matthew 25, we see that 
that in verses 33 through 45, that Jesus is going to look at the evidence in our lives. Like, like we, again, stand before him one day and he'll look at the evidence in our lives. And then he gives this verdict. It's like this, almost this courtroom type scenario. Like he looks at the evidence and then he declares a verdict. And then as we see in this, that believers are awarded everlasting life. And then the unbelievers are awarded everlasting punishment. Like what is that everlasting? I mean, I want us to consider this idea like everlasting. Like don't, don't, today we live in, in like this instant society. We were, a couple of us were talking about this before the service, um, about like social media and conversation. And we have like instant access all the time, don't we? And life is so fast paced and, and things happen so quickly. And, and, and even in our lives, like we want to climb like the corporate ladder so quickly. We want to attain all this stuff. But this idea of like everlasting, like eternity lasting forever, it's, it's almost a thought that's hard for us to wrestle with. Like even in our own, like our own ages, um, I'm 39 years old now. Mackenzie, my oldest daughter, this month turns 10. Like this is our first double digit. Like, and you know what? I, there's times and it happens more and more that, um, you just kind of stop and you're like, wow, like, where have these last 10 years come? Where have they gone? Like what, what's happened? Like, how did I get gray hair? Bigger question is how do I not have hair? You know, where did this thing come from? How did my ankle start cracking every time I walk? Like, how do these things like it doesn't it feels like just yesterday. Like I was the guy in college. It feels like just yesterday, like I was in high school. And then you start looking at the dates and you realize that yesterday was 20 years ago. See, like time is it's, it's hard for us to even grab a hold of because things go so fast. But when we think about this idea of everlasting, like there's no graduation from everlasting. There's no graduation from eternity. And when Jesus talks, when Jesus makes this statement, he's making a literal He's referring to a literal destination. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, we begin to see some of the imagery that, that Jesus uses to describe to describe hell. Um, Matthew 13 verse 30 says this, um, and this is kind of a parable that he's, he's using. And, and Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So first we think, well, that, what does that mean? Well, if you go down further into that parable, Matthew 13, verse 40 says this. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Verse 42 says, And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And a little bit further down there, 49 through 50 says, And so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come, will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See this image that Jesus is painting of hell. We see darkness. We see fire. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, see this philosophy sometimes that we, that we see here on earth today is, is um, that hell is kind of what life is here on earth. Like this is what hell will be like. And this is the time of the suffering. And this is the time of the hurting. This is the time of the judgment. But, but there's better things above. And for the believer, for the one who accepts Jesus Christ, that's the truth. I've mentioned, and I've said this before, like for those who know Jesus and have accepted Jesus and believe in him and have put their trust and faith in him, this here on earth is as close to hell as we'll ever get. But the flip side of that is for those who reject him, this on earth is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. And think about that. Think, think how broken that would be. Like if this is the best that there is, is this the, the, if this is the best that we have to look forward to, doesn't that kind of answer why there's so much desperation in our world today? How, why there's so much lack of hope? You see, we have that view like this is it. And then we also have like this ACDC view of hell. Like hell is just going to be one big party. Like this is where all the cool kids are going to be. And as we read this description that Jesus himself gives about hell, when he talks about the fire, he talks about the darkness, he talks about the weeping and the crying, he talks about the gnashing of the teeth. That's far from a party. So we see this imagery there. Matthew 18, 8 through 9 says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. A little bit later or earlier in that book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, 11 and 12 says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Kind of a cool picture there. Think about those who are going to enter heaven. Like You'll be able to gather with some of these saints that we read about in the Bible. Like You'll be able to sit down and talk with them and share stories. Verse 12 says, And while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That idea that Rob Bell writes about is that ultimately God's love wins and there'll be these ideas of second chances. And here on earth, I talked with the youth last Wednesday, we, we have the opportunity and we see that throughout the story of Jonah, of these second chances. But there's no evidence in Scripture that 
states or shows that when we draw our last breath here on earth and we enter into the afterlife that we have second, third, and fourth chances. Like God gives us the opportunity here on earth to make that decision. So Jesus talks about hell as a place of punishment and judgment. He describes it as a place of fire and darkness. And then in Matthew, as we read earlier in 25, um, we see that hell is a place of never-ending punishment. Verse 41 of Matthew 25 says, um, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Uh, 45 and 46 of that same chapter, Matthew 25 says, and you will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 10 says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night and forever and ever. See, that picture that Jesus paints is not glorious. It's not something that one would desire or look forward to. Quickly, I want us to even consider beyond what Jesus said, beyond just what, okay, Jesus said that thing, okay, he, he, we get that. Well, what do the other people say? You, you know, if you were to notice that, um, and I'm going to read this quickly for sake of time. Paul in Acts 17, verse 30 through 31 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day to which he will judge the world. So Paul endorses exactly what Jesus said. Like, like there's going to be this day when he will judge. Judgment will come. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians verse, or chapter 1, 6-9, Paul again says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflicted you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8. In flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Peter, um, in Second Peter chapter 2, it's almost like a, something you would read in Dante's Inferno. You read, and I would challenge you, I'd encourage you, and we won't read it all, but go back and read the second chapter of 2 Peter. And in there you'll see where Peter describes destruction in verses 1, 3, and 12. He talks about punishment in verse 9, judgment in verse 4 and 9, condemnation in verse 30, hell in verse 4, suffering in verse 17. And he describes hell as the gloom of utter darkness. And then John, in the book of Revelation, verse 14. 
Verse 9 through 11 says this, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they will have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. John gives this powerful warning in Revelation. And I would encourage us. Revelation is one of those books that sometimes we run from because of all the imagery. But all throughout this book, Paul or John gives this warning. Do not oppose God. Just the idea, the thought of punishment going on and on and on day and night, and never ending. So why in the midst of the story of Jonah do we stop? Why do we talk about hell? Why, as spring is in the air, do we bring the doom and gloom? I think there's a few reasons for it as we get back to Jonah chapter 3. First, I believe, I believe this um, in relation to church, universal church, church as a whole. That I think that we live in a culture to where we like to talk about the good things, as I mentioned earlier. Um, there's a lot of prosperity gospel today where we can just kind of talk about what will make life better here. And nobody wants to hear about hell, right? Like, let me, I found this fascinating. Let me try and pull this quote up here, okay? Um, So that same book that I read this week, I found this review from an author by the name of John Shore, who writes for the Huffington Post. And in his review of the book, his last statement was this. If evangelicals really want to do God's work and really want to save people from hell, then they need to either radically rethink their concept of hell or at the very least, stop preaching about it. Um, I will tell you this. It is part of my belief that... um, that we... In many cases, and this is not a strike against all churches everywhere, but we lack um, the gumption to talk about some of the hard things in life behind a pulpit. Like we'd rather, and I will tell you this, I wrestle with some of this too. Like I'd rather people like me than be upset or frustrated by me. Like I'd rather 
I'd rather at the end of the service, like when you walk out, give me a high five, say, man, that was an awesome sermon. Jesus loves me. Woo. Right. I'd rather that than for you to kick me in the shins. Like those are those things. Like I'd, I'd rather that. But here's the deal. The, the commitment that I've, I've made um, with God and the commitment I want to make with you as a, as a faith family is this. As much as I'd rather listen to that, as much as I'd rather you all really, really like me, my greater concern is that we preach the whole gospel. And as much as I would like you to like me here, I'd much rather get a high five in heaven for being honest and truthful with you. And so I don't think it's right for us to stay away from these tough topics. I think we need to be honest with it. I think as we consider this idea of hell, like I'm, I, as a pastor, I'm not going to rethink my concept of hell unless God just shows me something in his word that we should alter that concept. And I'll tell you this, I'm not going to not preach about it. Not every Sunday is not going to be about hell, but I'm not going to not preach about it to make people happy. Jonah goes and he goes to the town there and he, I I find it fascinating that he goes and he preaches judgment. He doesn't walk in and just talk about how great and loving God is. He walks into this city, a foreign city, talks about a foreign God. He's this little country hick in big city now. And he talks about judgment and that creates the greatest revival earth has ever seen. To the point where the whole town, like from the richest man to the poorest man, over 120,000 people come to know God. Like that is amazing. And it wasn't, Jonah didn't go in there and try and paint this beautiful picture of who God was. He went in there and he told them the truth that judgment is coming. It's interesting, and as we see this played out in, in Jonah, in this third chapter, we see this little subtle shift in language. Throughout the book of Jonah, Jonah had used the word, and you see this, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. That, that Hebrew word for the Lord was Yahweh. Okay, And what's important about that word Yahweh was that word Yahweh was the referring to the Lord, the covenant Lord that between Israel and Jesus and between Israel and God. Okay. Yahweh was this covenant Lordship between Israel and the Lord. It was their Lord. It was them using a term that they knew a term that they used. That term would have been foreign to the Ninevites. And it's interesting because as he goes and begins to talk with those in Nineveh, he changes from using that term, the Lord, or that term, Yahweh, and uses God, Elohim, the mighty one, the, the, the creator, a broader, bigger, larger God, a God that goes beyond just Israel, but to all people. Um, and when he was in chapter two, as he was in the belly of this great fish, and he's having this prayer. He is describing, he's using the language from Solomon's prayer when he was dedicating the temple. And in that prayer, it talks about how he would, this, this would go to the people beyond just the Jews. 
And this is where I believe as we think about this, as we contemplate this, this is why hell and this understanding of hell is so critical to us. Twofold. One, it, re- it relates to our own eternal destinies. Where, where do we line up in this decision? Have we come to the point where we ultimately believe what Jesus said and have we accepted him as our Savior? Because if we haven't, then those things, that description, that darkness, that fire, the gnashing of teeth, that's what we have to look forward to. So first and foremost, I believe for us as a family, where do, where, where do we relate to that? But beyond that, why I think it's so important for us to grab a hold of this concept or the reality is if that's what hell is really like, if there is a literal place and that literal place will last forever and ever and ever and that literal place is dark with fire and torment that will last day and night forever and ever and ever. Then what are we doing to stop others from going there? Listen, we all walk in different circles. We all rub elbows with our neighbors, we all have classmates, we all have people at work, we have people at church, we have social friends, we have, all, we have family. We, we, there's so much in our life. There's so many people in our lives. What are we doing to share the truth with them? For, for most of us, if you're like me, it's I'm too... Nervous that they're going to reject it. I'm too nervous that I might make them upset. Like if I talk to them about what hell's really going to be like, like I'm going to dampen the mood. <laughs> I'm going to hurt their feelings. I may make them upset. And so we refrain from sharing that. And the honest truth is if we really think this thing out, if we really flesh it out, what we're saying to them is, I don't love you enough to save you from hell. And that's what Jonah wrestled with. God called Jonah at the very beginning of chapter 1 to go to Nineveh, to go to this land and to tell them. And Jonah ran. Jonah ran. Folks, God has called us, and we mentioned this last week. God has called us all to go. God will be the one who accomplishes. God will be the one who does the work, but he's called us to go. He's called us to go. We are the vehicle that God uses today. And this is not fun loving stuff this is the, but this is the truth if we want to see our neighborhoods change if we want to see 
our city change, our state change, our country change, our world change. It's not going to come through somebody in Washington. It's not going to come from some new law that allows or doesn't allow something. It's going to come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to come through him. And if we think this, sometimes we think like, wow, we're, we're, we've moved so far like it can't change. He changed Nineveh. He changed this barbaric nation, empire of Nineveh, the Syrian empire, the capital of the Syrian empire. Like these were brutal people. He changed them. And if he could create one message of judgment that changes the hearts of over 100,000 people, what can he do today? And that's not to say that we all have to go and preach hell in this and preach Jesus in this judgmental way. And we have to point fingers at people and tell them they're all going to hell. I think we need to do it in a loving way. That's what God did. But we have to do it in a truthful way, right? God is love. Um, And because of that love, we, we see and we know, and we reference these scriptures all the time. Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like that's a God of love, right? A God of love will send his only son to die on the cross for our sins. Like that's an obvious, he loves us. For us to say like God just chooses to push people in hell. No, he gives us the opportunity. We're the ones that choose the destiny. Okay, he, he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He, Roman, or Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. There's nothing we do. There's, there's no magic act that we do. There's no great service that we do. It's a gift from God. I love John 3, 16, you know. But sometimes we just read that verse and, and we forget what comes after it. John three sixteen through verse 21 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people have loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. My prayer for us, as we consider this idea of Jonah, as we consider Jonah, God's given us a command to go. We have places, we have schools, we have works, we have neighborhoods, 
that God's placed us at for a time like this. God's prepared you for those relationships. God's giving you those relationships. You may not know all the answers. That's okay. But go. Go. Be faithful. Go to where God has called you to go. Trust that he'll give you the strength. Have some love and compassion in your life, knowing that if I remain silent, that I'm just encouraging a destiny in hell. That's strong talk. I know it is. But I hope we grab a concept. I grab, we grab a hold of the reality of this. We want to live in a world where it's just out there. We don't think about it. But I want us today, I want us to leave this morning truly thinking about the magnitude and the enormity of what hell really is. And if we do, I believe, I believe it changes us. I believe it motivates us to do what Jonah did, to go. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, I thank you for this day, Lord. I I thank you for your word. Um, Lord, there's lots of scripture that's not necessarily popular to believe and think and to accept. But God, just because I don't want to doesn't mean it's right. Lord, I don't want to be the kind of person that feels like I have to dress you differently to make you okay. You're God. You have every right to set the rules. You have all authority and all power. Who am, who am I? Lord, I, I pray this morning that you break our hearts. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength like this is unpopular thought today Lord no one wants to think of the negative no one wants to focus in on the hardness no one wants to focus in on this one way but God you Jesus you yourself said John 14 6 that you are the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through you you will be the one you will be the judge and we all stand before you Lord, this morning, I I don't know if there's some here that have never accepted you as their Savior. That might be the case. I pray that these words hit home. Not my words, but the scripture that we read, Lord. It doesn't need a sermon, Lord. It's your words. It's much stronger than anything I have to say. And Lord, I hope 
that maybe this pause and reflecting the reality of what hell really is motivates us in a different way. Or it softens our hearts to realize that you've placed this in a community, a neighborhood, a city. That by all estimation, about 83% don't step foot in the church. Lord, there's a community of about 150,000 people here in Leon County that don't even seek you in any way, shape. Lord, and we're supposed to be the South, the Bible belt, if you will. Lord, break our hearts. Lord, help us to engage, help us to share your love with those around us. Lord, I pray that you allow each and every one of us to be a lighthouse for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going.